0: The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant and sat down. All the eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he said to them, the scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Later, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were standing nearby. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of the crowd. So they went up to the roof and took off some tiles. Then, they lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd, right in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, Young man, your sins are forgiven. But the Pharisees and teachers of religious law said to themselves, Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, Why do you question this in your hearts? Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up, picked up his mat, and went home, praising God. Everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, We have seen amazing things today. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Uh, If I've not had the opportunity to meet you yet, my name is Jim Vermilia, and I serve as the Dean of Global Engagement and Strategic Initiatives here at Indiana Wesleyan University. I'm excited to share with you this morning about the launch of a new center here at Indiana Wesleyan that I believe that many of you are going to want to be involved with. The Justice Center for Human Trafficking exists to support research, provide resources, and support initiatives that seek to abolish human trafficking and promote human flourishing. We have a table in the Mallway. We have some information there. Uh, we have a free book for any of you who might be interested in the center. You're going to be hearing a lot about the center in the weeks and months uh, to come. Uh, but this morning, I wanted to introduce to you the director of our justice center, Dr. Christina Courier.
1: Thank you, Jim. Good morning. It's good to see all of you. It's our privilege and pleasure to be here uh, with you this morning. I look forward to getting uh, to know you guys a little bit more and connect with you. I'm faculty in the School of Nursing and non-res, so I'm not on campus that much, but I look forward to being on campus more starting in the fall. Now, we are so excited to have Rebecca Bender with us this morning. And I would like to um, make a wonderful, thorough introduction of her. In 2007, Rebecca Bender escaped a life of sex trafficking here in the United States. After nearly six years of being forced into modern-day slavery, she found hope and restoration solely through Jesus Christ. In 2013, Rebecca wrote her first book, Roadmap to Redemption, Redemption, The First of Its Kind, a faith-based workbook for survivors and advocates written by a survivor. Today, Rebecca is a nationally recognized leading expert on the issue of domestic sex trafficking, She has trained thousands of service providers, first responders, and faith leaders, including President Jimmy Carter, National Director of FBI Conference, Shared Hope International, Just Faith, and more. Rebecca has also consulted on Safe Home Startup across the world. She's been a recipient of multiple FBI and Congressional Recognition Awards, the 2015 Hero to Our Generation Award, the 2014 Female Overcomer Award, and the 2013 Unlikely Hero Award. Currently, she serves as co-chair of a Department of Justice Committee and advisor to the United States Health and Human Services. In 2014, Rebecca founded her own nonprofit, Rebecca Bender Initiative, continuing to expand her reach as both a Christian thought leader and raise awareness about trafficking misperceptions in America. RBI has taken an innovative approach by using technology to offer online mentoring services to survivors across the world, especially those who live in in areas where services don't exist. She continues to bring a multimedia message to the masses through her trainings, books, consulting, and speaking. Re- Rebecca was ordained as a minister in 2014 and is currently finishing her master's in biblical studies at Bethel University. She is now married with four lively daughters. Please help us welcome Rebecca Bender. Thank you. Thank you, guys.
2: We have got to work on shortening that bio, I think, right? Good morning, everyone. How are you guys? This is so cool. This place is packed. Would you guys mind if I took a photo? Is that okay? Can you do pano selfie mode? You iPhone, is that yeah or no? No, pano selfie side. We're going to try it, right? You guys don't mind. Nope, can't do it. Then I'm doing it this way. Everyone freeze. You know how this works. (laughs) They're like, the speaker's taking a pano. Yes, I am because I wanna tell people I was here and I wanna give a shout out to iWoo on social media because you guys are awesome. Thanks for having me. Okay, now I am gonna do it this way. Don't judge me, you guys know you do this. Okay, everyone right here is gonna have to smile. Sorry, outside, outsiders, ready, go. Yeah, that's my, that's my f- selfie face mode. How are you guys? Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Um, today, I wanted to share with you guys a little bit about my story, and really, I wanted to talk more about the issue of social justice, right? Because social justice is one of the largest issues of your generation. I'm sure most of you have heard about the issues of human trafficking and modern-day slavery, but what really is it? Right? Sometimes I think we think of human trafficking, and we've all seen the movie where the nine-year-old gr- girl gets kidnapped and thrown in a white minivan and locked in a brothel, right? We've all seen that movie. But what does it actually look like in America, in a first world country? And what does it really look like in your town, in your community, that the area that you live in? So today we're going to talk a little bit more about that and my story. You know, human trafficking is dynamic, it's diverse, it has many different faces. It's people smuggled across the border, absolutely. Is it illegal work in the agriculture arena? Probably so, yes. Is it sex trafficking and women sold through illicit massage parlors, brothels, strip clubs, street outreach? Absolutely, it's all of the above. Human trafficking is dynamic and it's very diverse. For a long time, I did not believe that I was a survivor of human trafficking. I thought that human trafficking looked one certain way because I had seen that one movie that one time. I kept it in this little box. And I realized as I learned more about the issue of human trafficking that I had been trafficked. That because my boyfriend beat me and forced me into prostitution, that actually I was a modern-day slave. And at first I didn't even like using that term because I felt like it real, I did a real in-service and, and disservice really to people who had gone before me back during the transatlantic slave times. And as I took a class on anthropology and uh, racism in the image of God and how that all kind of worked, I learned as I read the letters of women who actually lived through that generation, I realized that I could circle every single thing that they had been through. And that just because the era of the day was different didn't, didn't mean that it was less that I had been through. It just meant that they didn't have internet and running water, and that I did. But it didn't make what I'd been through any less. So it's very diverse, it's very dynamic. The one thing that is important to remember about human trafficking, regardless of the community, regardless of being in Cambodia, or Nigeria, or London, or New York City, or Marion, Indiana, one thing that is common is that traffickers exploit the vulnerable, all of them. And to them, to the traffickers, this is a business. This isn't a crime of passion or control. This is a business, and this is about making money. And when we start to really wrap our brains around the demographics of like what is trafficking and who is buying people, it starts to be a little bit more clearer, right? Because I don't think any man wakes up one day and says, I think I'm gonna buy a 13-year-old for sex today. No one wakes up and says that. So how do you get there? And when we look at trafficking on a global scale, the number one buyer of sex in this world is American men. What are we doing in our culture that's raising up this kind of demand? Where men are we drawing the line in the sand where we're saying, I'm not going to participate in pornography? Because one out of four images are women who don't want to be there. And that behind the little tiny screen where she's winking at you is a man with a gun and her child held hostage. But we keep clicking because we think it's a victimless crime we got to start really wrapping our minds around how we're participating in modern day slavery and how at some point the addiction of pornography will get more intense in frequency and in and in hardness I'm trying to i'm trying to be careful about how i word things have to be really thoughtful around exactly how did we get here and why is this the largest growing epidemic so where is trafficking in america This is currently a map from the National Human Trafficking Resource Center. Um, Obviously, in red is higher uh, density of calls. And this is the American US interstate highway system. So you can kind of see that trafficking happens all over the world, and especially all over America, but just right along where freeways are, because traffickers move people around. And I'm going to give you a tip for you young men out there. Traffickers are following you. You're their demographic. They're watching you. They're wondering where you go to sporting events, where you like to hang out at. And they're putting their their victims in a vehicle, and they're following you. So be thoughtful around that and around your surroundings. I was born and raised in a small community in southern Oregon. We had about 35,000 people. And I was raised just a normal, all-American, kind of middle-class kid. I was an only child, I played varsity sports in high school, I was an honor roll student, and I graduated even a year early as a junior with enough credits. I was not raised in a faith-based home. I had a praying grandma, but that was the most that I had encountered with like the Bible and prayer. <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den was like about my extensive Bible knowledge. Um, and when, my parents, when I was nine, my parents divorced. It was a really ugly divorce. That caused some time for me between about 9 and 12 that I started having some vulnerabilities, so feeling really unimportant, really unwanted, and really alone. But nonetheless, when I started into middle school and high school, I still became kind of the gregarious young woman, and I was a cheerleader, soccer player, I was All-State goalie. I had a real bright future, and my family and, and my friends really looked forward to me going off to college. I was accepted into Oregon State University and I had my dorm room assigned and I was so excited to get out of my small town and go off to college and experience college life. I'm sure no one here has ever felt like that, right? No one was like, oh, I really want to stay in my small town, I don't want to go off to college. I had those same feelings of like, I got to get out of here, I want adventure, I want to be in college life. And that summer, between graduating and going off to college, I got pregnant by my boyfriend. And I had to make a really tough decision at at 17, whether I was going to keep my baby and unenroll from the university and stay in my small town, kind of become a teen statistic, or get an abortion and go off to college with my friends and pretend like nothing happened. And I'm very grateful that I chose to keep my baby because she is an amazing young woman today who's a senior in high school who's also about to go off to college. She's doing great things in her life. But as my friends, half of my friends went to OSU and half of my friends went to U of O, I would say go Ducks, but I'm sure that no one knows. We usually don't have many fans on the East Coast. <laughs> They're like, who are the Ducks? Um, <laughs> but as half of my friends went off to two schools, I ended up staying at home, going to community college and having my daughter. And my friends who had gone off to the U of O after their freshman year, they moved out of the dorms, they moved into an apartment right near campus, and they called me and said, hey, Rebecca, you should move out of... The small town and come up to Eugene and still get to experience college life. And I thought, finally, the tables have turned. Finally, I could have a silver spoon instead of this broken McDonald's spork that I had felt like I had got dealt with in life, right? And so I moved up to college, but the thing that happened right away is all my friends started going off to sporting events and parties and doing the college thing right i'm sure none of you do it here at the at the bible college but doing it all the college life and i started having those same feelings that rose up in me during my time during my parents divorce cuz i was the girl with the kid and i was now stuck at home with not a lot of support like i had had when i lived with my parents and i started feeling un- unwanted unimportant and alone again Until I met the most amazing guy. We met at a a restaurant that was on campus property. He was cute, he was funny. He was about 24 and I was 18, almost 19. He always picked up the check. He drove a really nice car, he had nice clothes. And more importantly, everything was about me and the baby. Chuck E. Cheese, time at the park. And he lured me into his web with this sense of family. The family that I had always wanted as that nine year old broken little girl, and the family that I really wanted for my daughter. After six months of dating me, he invited me to move in with him, and I thought this was it. I was gonna get married, have a white picket fence, dog named Pepe, everything was gonna be great. But the day that was, we were packing up our apartment, he said, My job is relocating me to Las Vegas. And if you want to be a family and and get married, then you should come with me. So we put everything in the U-Haul. His brother jumped in the driver's seat. We flew, he drove, I I arrived in Vegas. And the day that we arrived, you know, we got rested, or maybe it was the next day, and he said, get dressed up, I want to show you out on the town. We left my my baby with his brother, and has anyone here been to Vegas? Let's see some hands. Not a ton. Vegas is like an excitement, right? Like as soon as you fly in the lights, it's like New York City. I mean, it's like, it's crazy there, right? And he said, I'm gonna, we're going to go out to the club. And okay, I wasn't, this was BC, it was before Christ, so don't judge me now. I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to the club. I got my friend's fake ID. I was ready. And I'm at real clubs, like nightclubs in a big city. Do you know what I mean? Like it was like, I was excited. So I put on my best club gear got in the car, left the baby with the brother, and he drove me instead to this dead-end street. I can remember he pulled up along the curb and there was this deserted strip mall on the right-hand side, there was no lights, no signs, and he put the car in park and he said, look, I spent a lot of money to get you here. I put first and last on the apartment, I filled your fridge with food, furniture, that was money I was using for my job. And I felt really bad. I thought, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize I put you out like that. Like, yeah, if I need to get a job, whatever we need to do. He goes, well, do you see the, the door with the camera facing down? You need to go inside there. It's an escort service, and I'm going to need you to sign up. And I said, escorting? That sounds like prostitution. No way. I'm from a small town, but I'm not that stupid, right? Like, no way. He goes, oh, it's nothing like the movies make it seem it's just dancing in a room in your bikini. I mean, don't act like you've never been in a bikini at the pool. You weren't a virgin when I met you. You had a kid. And I'm going to be there because I love you. And I was like, mm, yeah, still not buying it, right? Like, I'm, again, not that, I'm not that naive. And that's when he slapped me across the face for the first time. He said, you're going to go inside that room and you're going to get my money back. And I can remember this sudden feeling of a shock right getting hit for the first time is pretty shocking the sudden emotions of a young 19 year old in love girl feeling like did you love me at all was any of it real was the day at the park was that real for you or was that a trick and then a sudden hit of I don't know my I don't know where my daughter is I don't know my address by heart I just arrived yesterday And the sudden reality that my my choices were very slim. So I complied in order to get back home. I just wanted to get back home to my daughter. I wanted to get back home to the way things used to be. I wanted to be that hopeful, in love woman, young woman, just had been moments before. And so I complied. The next six years of my life took a very downward spiral. And over the next six years, I ended up getting sold and traded between two more traffickers. I've had two men tattoo their names on my back like a piece of cattle so that if I ran, I could be returned to my owner. I have had my face broken in five places. My palate cracked, my nose twice, my maxiofacials and my turbinates impounded. I've been hospitalized for dehydration and overexhaustion. Some days, I was given only an hour to sleep in a closet. I've been to jail seven times, and during those six years, I just wanted to die. I can actually remember two times trying to kill myself. Driving on the freeway, I thought, it's the first semi-truck that comes my way. I'm just going to run my car in front of it. But I drove for 45 minutes, and no semis came. I turned around to go back home, thinking I didn't want to get in trouble. See, people think that modern-day slavery doesn't exist in our own communities. But I can tell you that it is alive and well. And what kept fueling it was the demand for sex. The demand for young women to go through the motions with a smile slapped on our face, pretending to be sexy, pretending to make you think that we think you're cute. That's not what we're thinking. We're thinking, I'm going to get beat if I don't get home meeting my quota. If I don't bring in a certain amount of money, then you would be beaten. That's how trafficking works. And so we're going through the motions, winning a Grammy to try to make you give us money so that we don't get in trouble. But don't be deceived. The trafficker keeps every dollar. When we come home, we are strip searched and every single dollar is taken. Usually after six years, people go, why didn't you just run? Six years is a long time. Like, why didn't you just run? Right? I'm sure there are people thinking that. My answer usually is, I did. Why do you think I'm standing here? Oh, why didn't I run sooner? Is that your question? It's kind of like asking a rape victim why she didn't fight harder. It's not really, you know, appropriate. Most of the time people imagine that we should have like grabbed a grenade, bombed the Bellagio, jumped out the window, and ran for freedom like Angelina Jolie. That's not really how it works in real life, guys. And my answer is I actually had four attempted escapes. And with each attempt, I learned what to do better next time. I learned where to hide jeans for next time. I learned where to, to burn the receipt for mu- when I sent money home so that my mom could buy me a plane ticket for next time. I learned that you can't buy a plane ticket with cash post 9-11 for next time. I tried to run, and I always got caught. And one time, I finally did get all the way home, and my trafficker showed up at my mom's house. And it made me realize that he knows where my family lives, he could hurt my family, and I had to comply. Thankfully, in 2007, federal investigators raided the home that we were in and allowed an eventual avenue for escape. In the home that I was living in, there was three other women and two children, and I want to say that it was like the movies where the blanket instantly thrown over the victim and she's nicely walked out. Again, doesn't work like that in the movies. (laughs) There was a SWAT team at 5 a.m. that raided the home, rifles to the back of everyone's head, including the children, till everyone went to jail till we could sort out the mess and see who's actually the criminal. And three of those women ended up doing a year in prison for tax evasion. We're not paying taxes on the money that they made as, as, tr- as slaves. Trafficking, again, is one of the largest epidemics. There's lots of stats. 20 million people enslaved in the world. I've seen 37 million, 32 million. It always changes. One thing that, that is pretty consistent is only 1% of those are able to escape. And I can remember when I finally came to the Lord, my mom had given me this place of women's homes that I should go to to find recovery. And there was one on the list that was a Christian home. And I can remember saying to my mom, I ain't going to no Christian home. These Christians don't have a clue what real life is like on the streets. But as I called every number, no one had vacancy except the Christian home. And I showed up at this facility in Portland, Oregon. And this man came out. He was this older Hispanic man. He had pock marks on his face and a tattoo on his neck. And he has, had his top button, button like a veterano, right? And he was like, are you Sister Rebecca from Las Vegas? And I was like, yeah? He goes, I'm Pastor Joseph, the home director. It's nice to have you. I was like, oh, okay, homeboy's all right. He's a pastor? Okay. I could go here. If he's a pastor, I'll come here. But God uses exactly what we need in the season that we're in to get our attention. And he knew that I would be able to identify with someone. Who, he may have not have been through what I had been through. But Pastor Joseph knew life on the streets. He, was, he had been in gangs his whole life. He had been a drug addict and in gangs and in and out of prison. And so I knew he understood addiction and incarceration. And I knew that I could just be real and let it all out. And after about a year, the Lord really just... The Lord delivered me from everything in the blink of an eye. And he started working on my heart and my mind to start really calling me closer to Christ. See, modern slavery is high profit and low risk. And, and that's why it continues to flourish. But if there's so many people enslaved and if we're giving you all these numbers and your, your university has this giant initiative, right? And this, this justice center as do some. Like, why aren't we seeing it all the time? Why aren't we seeing women walking around in street corners in miniskirts and fishnets, right? Like in Law and Order, Stabler and Benson, that's what we're supposed to see. America and, and media has done a really poor job at marketing this issue to you guys. They keep showing you pictures like this. Women duct taped, kidnapped, thrown in dirty rooms on a single mattress on the floor. We see this in all the shows. The reality is I never looked like any of those victims. I stood next to you in the grocery store line. My little girl went to school with your little brother or sister and no one ever noticed us. We're hidden in plain sight and we walk amongst you. So what do we look like? And what is it going to look like in your community? You know, trafficking has changed with the advent of the Internet. Last month, I was in Muncie, Indiana, speaking at the Indiana Children's Bureau, doing some training there with the cops and foster care. And I looked up on one website how many people were for sale in Muncie. 43 young women and children for sale in Muncie, Indiana. Is anyone surprised by that? Internet is where trafficking exists. You can now order a young person to come to your door like a pizza, like a pizza in 20 minutes, direct to you. So I just wanted to share before we run out of time, which is still a while from now so still stay comfortable, I'm just saying like this was my midway point for me, Um, (laughs) that in 2007 I went back to school after I escaped trafficking and kind of got my life together. I got my first job, it was a minimum wage job but I was determined to figure it out. And I met my husband at church and we got married and we started having children and um, as I was sitting there being a normal, you know, a normal woman, a normal mother and wife now, at least I thought I was normal, I'm sure my husband would disagree, but um, I was sitting at my table and I was doing my morning devotion before my kids woke up, and I remember the sun started to come up, it was early, like 5 a.m., and the sun started to come up, and for most people, which is this beautiful sunrise, I felt sick to my stomach. And I've heard the familiar voice of the enemy say, time to come in. See, traffic victims work from sundown to sunup. And for what most people was beautiful, it was super triggering for me to remember that voice. And that's when I heard the Lord say, how can you sit here and do nothing? How can you sit here in your warm, nice house with your comfy cup of coffee when you know what it's like to be more afraid to come home than you are to have sex with a stranger. More afraid to go home, like let that sit for a minute. The place where you're supposed to feel the safest. I felt safer with strangers. How can you sit here and do nothing? And I thought, you're right, how can I? So whatever you have for me, Lord, I, and I, at that moment, I gave like a 30-day notice to my job. I wrote my first book and started speaking all over the country, just sharing my testimony. But at some point, just sharing your sob story wasn't enough. For me, I know the Bible says that others will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of your testimony. And so I knew at some point my testimony was enough, but I could throw a rock and hit a girl that could tell a sob story, I wanted to do more. And so I developed a really intensive advanced law enforcement training. And now um, we got contracts, our nonprofit has contracts with FBI, Vice School, Homeland Security. We train undercover police all across America. I got to go undercover twice during Super Bowl and that was really fun. Um, but, you know, God calls us back to the very things sometimes that we've been set free from. And he calls us back to the very people group that we once were. We see that with Moses. We see that in so many different things in the Bible. And so the things that God has set you free from and the very thing, the, pa- the thing that weighs heavy on your heart, that passion that just ignites you, he really wants to use that for purpose. My first, after our first book, we created a whole bunch of resources that you can find on our website. Human trafficking lingo sheet, power of coercion sheet, red flag brochure, are you dating a trafficker? I really wanted to put myself back in that time when I was on campus. And people would say, six months of dating him was a long time. Was there no red flags? You didn't have any warning signs that this guy was a trafficker. Now that I'm an an older, right, healed, not vulnerable woman, absolutely there were some warning signs. And I wanted to go back and create something to help other college students to see if they were dating a trafficker. Because I can tell you, I've met a lot of trafficked victims. And there have been also a lot of them who were lured off college campuses. College is a great place to be able to come in under the radar where no one really knows you. No one really knows your backstory. Oh, yeah, I'm from so-and-so. Or, yeah, I'm in this class. And no one actually knows if that's the truth. So you guys need to be able to look out for each other. Does anyone actually know that dude? Is he actually in anybody's classes? He looks suspicious, like he fits everything on the red flag brochure, right? And then tell somebody. I know it feels weird sometimes to go to an adult or a school counselor, but it could actually save somebody's life. When I was being trafficked, I knew two women who had actually been murdered, two women who were strangled to death and thrown out in the hallway. And I can remember this one time, I went to the Mandalay Bay, it was this hotel, I went to this hotel, and I walked in and all of these undercover cops were there, and I recognized them because they had just arrested me the day before. And so I was like, oh, shoot, rabbit, deer in headlight, right, I had to turn around and try to walk away real quick. And the cop grabbed me by the arm and he said, I have a young woman who is dead upstairs. She was thrown out in the hallway with no clothes and no purse. I can't even tell her parents who she is. Do you want to end up this way? And I said, no. He said, get out of here. And he got real emotional. He said, I don't just mean this hotel. Get out of this life. And when I came to know the Lord and I really started to get into my word and and just wanted to sop up the word of God, I remembered the scripture in Isaiah that said, others have died that you might live. That's how important you are to me. And I wanted to set out on this journey of like, why me? Why am I saved when others haven't been? And why have I been put in this place where I can speak and teach? Like, why me when not others? And I want to ask you kind of the same thing of your own life today. Why you? Why are you the ones here, hearing this very message, going to this very school that happens to have social justice as an initiative and as, a tr- as courses? Very few schools are as fortunate as you. Why you? And what are you gonna use your passion for purpose for? It may not be to fight trafficking. It may be to help with poverty, global hunger, water crisis. What weighs heavy on your heart? What are you passionate about? Because you are not called to pay bills and die, okay? That's not what you're called to do. You're not called to sit in your little house with your comfy surroundings and your nice cup of coffee when there are people out there that don't have it as fortunate as you. So where do you come from? What people group can you go back to? Not just talking about demographic. I'm talking about the bondage that you've been freed from. So this is my family today. These are my four beautiful daughters, um, My oldest, Deshey, she is 17. She's a senior. She's about to graduate this year. And she was eight when we finally escaped. And this this young woman's story is so incredible. She can remember living in a house with multiple women. Um, She can remember getting pulled from her bed in the middle of the night and saying, just leave your toys. We'll get more at Nana's and jumping on the flight and running. And today, she is uh, in all AP classes in school. She's an honor roll student, way higher GPA than I ever had. She's also a varsity athlete. Um, she's she's the Oregon state champion for 100-meter hurdles. She's also a regional gold medalist. She went to the Junior Olympics the last two years in a row. Um, she's ranked ninth in the nation. And she just signed with Berkeley. So we're really proud of her. <laughs> she's doing amazing things. She also started and is the co-founder of the Youth Ending Slavery Club at her high school and she puts on a Human Trafficking Awareness Week every year, fourth annual one in her high school. Now she's passing that baton to the leadership and they're gonna keep it going. But you know what, I think it's the epitome of your past doesn't have to define who you are. Against all odds, you can stand. You can fight and you can drive and you can refuse to partner with with the bondage that the enemy wants to bring you. When, when Jordan and the worship team were worshiping earlier, it was so great, but that, that sentence where it says, I'm no longer a slave to fear, like I want you to cross that word fear out and I want you to write what it is you're in bondage to. I'm no longer a slave to pornography. I'm no longer a slave to gossiping. I'm no longer a slave to backbiting and murmuring and complaining. I'm no longer a slave to a poverty mentality. You can overcome anything that you've been through. You just have to not partner with it and pray about it and surround yourself with the people that you want to become like. God will call you back to the very place that he took you out of. Now today, um, this year, we were featured in Sports Illustrated. We did a big four-page article on Super Bowl and human trafficking. Um, I I hate to break it to anybody, but I don't actually think it's the biggest day of trafficking of the year. There's no, no proof of that, no evidence of that. And most of the time, I think advocates and nonprofits jump on the coattail of hashtag Super Bowl instead of, like, there's no hashtag consumer electronics show, right? Like, not quite as cool. But the consumer electronics show, I remember that being what all of the traffickers really geared up for because it was a whole bunch of techie guys all in this one area, and they would just send girls in to parade them around and pretend to act sexy so that you would take the bait. Don't fall for the trap, you guys. The enemy is like a roaring lion seeking whom he will devour. The, the, the issue of sex, the issue of commercial sex, stripping, pornography, prostitution, it is a killer. It's a killer for your relationships. It's a killer for your future marriage. It is a killer, and more importantly, it's killing the lives of the women that you think are victimless. We have to be more thoughtful around it in the culture that we live in today. Because I know none of you in Bible school are, are permeated by the sexual culture that, that's rampant in our country. But you will be if you haven't yet. Our culture is saturated with it, and how can we fight against it as believers? Um, we also have got to do lots of red carpet events. It's been really fun, and I'm um, working on a TV show right now with some other people to, to, turn it into, to turn my memoir into a TV series. We're really excited. Jesus is the epitome of social justice. They didn't call it social justice in the New Testament. But they called it lots of other things. And we see how Jesus surrounded an oppressed people group of all different kinds. Racial inequality, gender inequality, Jesus was right in the mix. And so I encourage you to think about things as you move forward in your lives. I'm going to skip to this. And the last three things I really want you to think about today and, and for the rest of your time here at Wesleyan, what influence do you have? Who do you surround yourself with? Who are you able to be an influence to? Maybe you're going into political science. Maybe you're going into law enforcement. Maybe you're going into nursing. All of those areas have touched people who have been trafficked and exploited. And they have the opportunity, law enforcement, medical, policy, all have the opportunity to shape a culture. What circle of influence do you have and what are you going toward? and how can you use that and leverage that in whatever passion you're gonna fight? What skill set do you bring that you're getting right now? I'm not talking about a degree and I'm skilled in graphic design. I'm talking about, are you good at organizing? Are you a good communicator? Are you good at social media? Nonprofits all over the world are looking for interns that are skilled in those things. Use what you really love to fight what you hate. I love to do social media, great. I can use a social media manager. Right? You can actually help fight things by doing what you're skilled at. It doesn't have to be just you that's going in for the rescue, right? Like there's lots of areas that we need help with as organizations. And what kind of profession are you getting? Think of these three things as you move towards your passion and your purpose. What is it that you're passionate about and how can you use that for purpose? What is it that you're skilled at, influencer in, and what profession are you getting that's really going to be able to shape a culture? Because you were created for more than to just stay company, pay bills, and die. So follow us on social media. I'm going to pray before we're dismissed. want you to uh, take a picture of this. You all better follow me on Instagram. I'm going to have hurt feelings. I come out of here. I don't have more. I want to sh- be able to share with you guys what we're doing and where we're going. And when the shows come out, we really want to be able to help give you guys insight and information on what's taking place in, in the issue of human trafficking Um, this year we were mentioned by Ashton Kutcher as one of the top five organizations in the nation. We're really honored to be able to have our work that's being shown to the country. And we want to share in that with you guys. We want to bring all of the stuff that we're doing and we want to share it with you. So, So follow us online. But Lord, thank you God for your time today. Thank you Father for each and every seat here, for each and every young man and woman that sits in these pews, God. Father, I pray that as they hear these, your words, Lord, that it would take root in their heart, that they would go forward through the rest of their lives, God, with that little bit of influence in them, that would say, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? Father, I pray that you would spark in them and fan into flames the desires that you put in their heart, that you would mold and shape them to go after everything that you have for them with reckless abandon, God. Father, I pray an extra anointing on these group of students, God, that you would give them purpose and passion and destiny. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed.